Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, they each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, his glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then when I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. As you may know or may not know, um, Pastor Young is on leave and he'll be returning on the 31st of May. And so today, God has blessed us with a guest speaker. Um, his name is Dr. Ian Smith. He is the principal of Christ College where he also teaches Greek and New Testament. He has been at Christ College uh, for nearly 30 years. Um, prior to that, he was a missionary at Vanuatu. Um, a church minister and a high school teacher. He's married to Jenny and they have four children and seven grandchildren. Let us give us a warm welcome to Dr. Ian Smith. First lesson of the day is watch where you're stepping. Okay, it's great to be with you at uh, New Life today. And uh, I've heard a lot about Saison Church. I think last time I was with Saison Church, it's a long time ago, you were at Riverside Girls. Does anyone remember that day? It's a, lo it's a lifetime ago, isn't it? But um, it's lovely to be back with you. It took me a while to find out how to get into this place. Uh, I was told by Pastor Young to go down one of the side streets. So I went down the side street down here and I got totally lost. And then I came back around here and I saw a lady and I thought, you look Korean, I might follow you. <laughs> but I wasn't sure. And then I, I, another car followed and the driver of that car looked Korean as well, but they had a cross hanging from their rear vision mirror. And I said, sure, I'll follow you. And we found <laughs> our way here. So it's great to be with you. Um, this morning. I hope you've got your Bibles open there at Isaiah chapter 6 and we're going to look at this very important passage from God's Word. So please pray with me before we start. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and we do give you thanks for your Word. We thank you that you meet with us this morning by your spirit and we pray that that very same spirit who has inspired your word would also illuminate that to us this morning and we pray it in Jesus name. 
Amen. Well, it was good I finally got to church and worked out how to get here, um, going down the street down there and the car park. And it's, I've come here because Pastor Young invited me to come. But I want to ask you a question. Why did you come to church this morning? Might be a strange question for the visitor to ask the regulars uh, why you came to church. But why did you come? Do you remember back, for some of you, looking around the room, I'm sure many of you are like this, maybe 10 years ago, when some of you were about 14, every parent goes through this with a 14, 13, 12-year-old kid, and those of you who've got young children or are going to have children, you will go through it as well. The teenage kid on Sunday morning when everything is going wrong says... Why do I have to go to church this morning? Don't put your hand up, but is anybody here who never asked that when they were 13? When you're the parent, what answer are you going to give to a 13-year-old child saying, why do I need to come to church this morning? You're going to give the authoritarian answer, you know, my house, my rules, come. You've probably heard that, haven't you? Eat your vegetables, do your homework, practice the music, go to church. How does that go? Yeah, it might work now, but it didn't work that well back then. Maybe you'll give the team answer. Come on, we're all in this team together. It's called God's Church. And church is kind of like the locker room where we get together every Sunday and we sort of cheer each other along and encourage each other to live another week for Jesus? Great answer. Your teenage kid will just say, oh, but nobody notices me. I'm never seen in the locker room. I don't get it. They'll have an answer for it. You're going to give the schoolroom answer. We've got to go to church to learn about God. We've got to learn about the Old Testament, we've got to learn about the New Testament, we've got to learn about God, we've got to learn all this stuff. Well, any of you working in education, is this the best way to teach people, to just sit down and to speak at people? Are we a locker room? Yes, we are. Should we go to church as an authoritarian thing? Well, yes, of course we are, we should. Is this a schoolroom? Well, yes, it is in some ways. But what I want to say to you this morning, that they're all secondary reasons for being here. I want to say to you that although you're in a locker room and although you're in a schoolroom, and that is true, much more importantly, you're in a throne room. And you have come to church primarily to worship God. And everything else flows from that. Well, let me ask you, what is worship? We have worship times, worship services, but what is worship? I suggest to you that the noun worship has become so devoid of meaning that we've actually needed to put adjectives with it to give it meaning. We talk about traditional worship. Oh, now I know what I'm talking about contemporary worship, seeker-sensitive worship, we talk about renewal worship, we talk about liturgical worship, 
But let's forget about the adjectives. What is worship and what are we doing here each Lord's Day? Next Sunday when you wake up and you're sort of thinking, oh, should I go to church? I'd rather sleep in. The primary reason you're coming is to meet and to worship the living God. Let's look at this passage and see how how this teaches us a little bit about this. And it starts with another sort of worship, another adjective, which is called inappropriate worship. 6 verse 1. We read here, in the year that King Uzziah died. You got your Bibles there? It puts that at 740 BC. Let me tell you about King Uzziah. He became a king at a very young age. He was only 16 when he became king. And he ruled for 52 years. It was a very successful rule in Judea in the south. The borders expanded. It was a time of prosperity. But as happens with any king who is successful, the success went to his head. And we read in 2 Chronicles 26 that Uzziah grew more and more proud of his success and so he did something that only the priests could do that he wasn't allowed to do. He wasn't a priest, he was a king. And what he did, we read in 2 Chronicles 26, is that he went into the temple and he burnt incense to God in a way that a priest should only do. What did he do? He presumed upon the worship of God and he worshipped in a way that is inappropriate. We know what renewal worship is. We know what liturgical worship is. Is there such a thing as inappropriate worship? And the Bible clearly says yes. And so what happens is that God struck Uzziah down in his old age with leprosy. He was cut off from the community and he died in exile. Fifty-two years That's a long time for someone to be king. And now, see the opening words there of verse 1? In the year that this guy died. In the year that King Uzziah died. I want to ask you a question. Where were you on the 8th of September, 2022? Do you know? You do know... You say, how do you expect me to remember where I was that day? Well, I'll tell you what happened that day. Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, died. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news? I can remember exactly where I was when I heard the news. It was a pretty big event. She hadn't been queen for only 52 years. She had been queen for 70 years. And I can remember exactly where I was when I heard the news. And I guess you can as well. It was pretty big news. What's going to happen from here on in? Will we still be a monarchy? Did you watch the coronation last week? What did you think about it? Don't tell me. We'll talk about it over lunch. Should we become a republic? 
Is there any future for the monarchy? I mean, there's a whole lot of confusion around because this stable monarch of 70 years has died. And if that's the confusion that surrounds the death of a constitutional monarch, imagine the confusion around the death of an absolute monarch like King Uzziah. But the beautiful thing we're going to see here in Isaiah 6 is that although this long-term monarch has died, the king is still on his throne. And the king that we're going to see who is on his throne in verse 1 is going to be God himself. And so we see in verse 1 the vision. Isaiah is in the temple. Now what is the temple? The temple in the Old Testament is the place where heaven and earth meets. It's not just a symbol of it, it's actually the reality of where heaven and earth meets. Uh, when the temple was consecrated, we read by Solomon in 2, in 2 Chronicles 7.1, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It's the place you go to meet with God. So I'll ask you, where do you worship? Some of you might say, I worship at, I've forgotten the address, what is it, 221A, 229A, what is it? 219A, that's why I got lost this morning. 219A. Nor, do you, is, this a, is this a holy building? Is this the place where you worship? As if a building defines worship? Doesn't look much like a church building, actually. There's no stained glass windows. It's lovely, I like it. No, it's not a building. Maybe you're more pious than that. Where do you worship? And you're going to say, I worship God in my heart. Well, that's lovely. I, I feel warmed and filled for you. I worship God in my heart. That's great. But if I ask you to define what you really meant by that, we might have trouble defining it. I do want you to worship God in your heart, by the way. Maybe you might say, well, look, it's not just a building here and it's not just in my heart. All of life is worship. Well, that's good. All of life should be worship, but I didn't ask where you should be worshipping. I'm asking where you do worship. And when you look back on your past week, do you think it's a whole week of worship or was there some inappropriate behaviour in there as well? I want to say to you that the Bible says clearly in the Old Testament and the New Testament that the place that you worship God is in heaven. Not in this building, not in your heart, but in heaven. And so in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1, we see that God has come down and filled the temple in the Old Testament. So when Isaiah goes into the temple. In reality, he is going into the heavenly courts. And you say, yeah, well, that's the Old Testament. We don't have a temple anymore. But hear how this gets developed. In John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus comes to dwell with us. Actually, if you go to the Greek behind that, it actually says, literally in the Greek, Jesus comes to tabernacle with us. 
Jesus comes to replace the temple. In fact, in John chapter 2, Jesus goes to the temple and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. They say, come on, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? But John tells us in John chapter 2 that Jesus was talking about the resurrection of his body. For when Jesus is raised again, so he will send his spirit, we see in John's gospel, and his spirit will come and dwell with us, and by his spirit, we will be connected to him in heaven. Where are you going this morning? They said to you as you left home. 219A North Rocks Road. I'm going to heaven. Why are you here? A locker room? I hope so. A classroom? I hope so. But far more importantly, have you ever thought about what you're doing this morning as entering into the throne room of heaven? Who is with us? How many are here? Two or three? Let me count you. One, two, three. Yeah, there's more than three. Wherever two or three are gathered, there I am with you. God is here. It was good to sit down the front here. Whenever I come to church, I always, if I'm a visiting preacher, I always sit down the front of the church. Do you know why? It's not so I can get out front easily and trip up the stairs, but it's, it's really because I'm not sitting in somebody else's seat. I want to come next week and I want to look at you. I'm not going to come next week, but I want to come and see if you are one of those churches where you all sit in the same seat every week. Is that right or am I right? Am I right or am I right? Did you sit in that same seat last week? It's not. You are not sitting there. I want to tell you what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. This is a heavenly activity that we are doing we worship the God who is in heaven. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Can you hear how, how in Psalm 103 it's addressing the angels? Do you know the old doxology that Presbyterians have sung forever? Praise God from whom? Do you know how it goes? All blessings throw, flow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Praise him, all creatures. You're not old enough, are you? Here below, the next line goes, praise him above ye heavenly hosts. We're addressing the angels. Who were you singing to in your praise time? Were you singing to each other? I hope so. Were you singing to God? I hope so. Were the angelic voices also joining in the praise of God as what happens is the church triumphant and the church militant, the church on heaven, the church in earth, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as what happens this morning, as God is with us, as he has sent his spirit, so we are coming together into the very throne room of God to worship Hello. 
My name is King Charles III. Would you like to come and have morning tea? Are you kidding me? Would you go? Absolutely. The God of the universe is inviting you into his throne room to worship him. And so we do it appropriately. Now don't hear me wrong. I don't say that, I'm not saying that what we do here on Sunday is the only time we worship, as if, as if this time was sacred and the rest of the week was secular. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is this, as the Apostle Peter says, that when the living stones of the temple, that's you, come together and are built into a spiritual house, is what we read in 1 Peter 2. So in your whole week of 168 hours, something special is happening as with the body of Christ, as with the living stones, we come into the throne room of God and we worship him. And so that's what happens in Isaiah. Let me read the first four verses for us here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. It's a majestic picture. I've already mentioned what happened, that King Uzziah died and God is still on his throne and Isaiah gets a picture of the heavenly throne room and above the heavenly throne room are seraphim, seraphs. Now, seraphs are angels, angelic beings. It literally means the burning ones in Hebrew. And we read that these seraphs, if you read there in verse 1, these seraphs in verse 2 have six wings. That's three sets of wings. With two of their wings, they are covering their faces. They're covering their eyes. Because no one can look directly upon the glory of God and live, we know in the Old Testament. Here they are. With the other, another two of their wings, they are covering their feet. Because they disavow any intention to go where they would want to go. They will only go where God will direct them to go. They're covering their eyes, they're covering their feet. And with the other two wings, that's all that's left there keeping aloft. They're flying. And as they are flying, we read here in verse 2, in ceaseless praise, they are saying this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That threefold repetition of the word holy is to give it emphasis. Do you know where the town Wagga is in New South Wales? Anyone been to Wagga? No one's been to Wagga? You know where Wagga is? Yes? Good. Somebody come. Just nod. Don't put your hand up. Just nod. 
Wagga's halfway to Melbourne. You do know where Wagga is, don't you? Phew. What does Wagga mean? No one knows? Really? Wagga means crow, as in the bird, crow. Is the town called Wagga? No, it's called Wagga Wagga. They're very particular about it. What does Wagga Wagga mean? It means many crows. Not just one crow, but crows and crows and crows. Really, you've got to get out there in New South Wales. <laughs> Has anyone been to Woi Woi? Do you know where Woi Woi is on the way to Gosford? Yes? Oh, more people have been to Woi Woi. What does Woi mean? You don't know, do you? It means deep. What's the water like at Woi? That's just deep. But now, what's the water like at Woi Woi? It's very deep. Get the idea? Wagga, 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 woi, woi, woi. You've got to get out there. What does holy mean then? Holy means separate from us. Holy means God is the creator enthroned in his glory. Holy means that God is perfect, lacking in nothing. The Bible talks of the splendor of God's holiness, the majesty of God's holiness, the incomparability of God's holiness. Is God holy? Well, yes. But it's not just that God is holy. Is God holy, holy? Well, yes. But it's not just that God is holy, holy. God is holy. Holy, holy. Did you know that this is the only attribute of God in the whole Bible that gets that threefold definition? You will not find in the Bible God called love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or anything, anything, anything. But he's only the only attribute that gets this threefold definition is holy, holy, holy. And this is not the only time we get this threefold definition of this attribute of God because when we come to the very last book of the Bible in Revelation, we see in Revelation chapter 4 around the throne of God, we see that there are 24 elders and they are bowing down and we read in Revelation 4 that they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And there is the picture that they are seeing of the holiness of God as they are worshipping the Lamb. And then what does this Lamb of God do? He comes before the God who is holy, into whose presence we have no right to come, and he pleads the benefit of his sacrifice on our behalf. He pleads the merits of his resurrection. And so we have access not just to a classroom, although that's great, but I'm a teacher, I'm going into a classroom tomorrow and the next day, I live in classrooms. 
This is a classroom, but it's not just a classroom. And it is a locker room. It is great to encourage each other. But far more importantly, this morning, we are in the throne room of God. And we are crying, holy, holy, holy. Wouldn't it be great if just for one Sunday morning, the wall behind me disappeared? And you might say, it's taken us a long time to rebuild this facility. You want the wall to go? Yeah, just for 30 seconds. I just want this wall to disappear and for you to see with your eyes what we are doing rather than what we're doing at the moment by seeing it by faith. Wouldn't it be wonderful, if just, just like Isaiah had in the temple, if we could see the throne of God? I tell you what, if just for 30 seconds we had a glimpse of what we are doing in the throne room of God, you wouldn't be concerned with what the preacher is wearing. You wouldn't be focusing on him because you'd be focusing on the one who is clothed in righteousness. And you really wouldn't worry if we went for an extra five minutes because this is going to be an eternal activity. And you wouldn't be worried if, I don't know, it's not my style of music, I don't like that song, because you wouldn't be focused on the music, you'd be focusing on the one to whom the music is directed in praising the one who is holy, holy, holy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that back wall just disappeared for 30 seconds and instead of recognising we're here by faith, we could actually see what we are doing with our eyes. That's what Isaiah is encouraging us to do. Isaiah has that vision of the heavenly throne. But I think I'd probably feel pretty awkward as well. Who am I? What right do I have to be in the throne room of the God who is holy, holy, holy? Because I tell you what, When I look at my life, it's far from holy. And that's exactly what Isaiah does. Look at verse 5. He says, woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. That's what happens to him when the back wall goes. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you see the holiness of God and how separated that God is from sin, all of a sudden, like a mirror, it shines back into our own life and you think, well, that's not me. I mean, you might think that you live a pretty good life. My guess is some of you work in the medical field. Uh, Does anyone work in a medical field here? Just nod. Lots of nods. Yep, lots of medicos here. And, you know, I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. I'm really not, but I'm just making this up. I'm going in for surgery tomorrow, and I'm lying there in the, in the operating theatre, and the anaesthetist is talking to the doctor, and the doctor says to the, to the, pers- the, the anaesthetist, did they sterilise the, the instruments? And he said, oh, not really, but they're pretty clean. How do you feel as you just drift off into your anaesthetic? Is near enough good enough for you? It's not good enough for me. It's either clean or it's not clean. You're either holy 
or you're not. It's an absolute category. And seeing the holiness of God drives us to confession of sin. We should be doing that individually. We should be doing that as a church as we come together. Into the throne room of God and we say, I'm a man of unclean lips like Isaiah did. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. From worship comes confession. But then comes a beautiful picture in verse 6. Look at it with me in verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal, a burning hot coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. It's too hot for him to touch. And with, and he, t- and he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean tongue. But the seraph takes the burning coal and cauterizes my sin. It's painful. Burning coal, but it's cauterized, it's cleansed. Taking sin away always takes pain. It took sacrifice in the Old Testament. But we know from the New Testament that the pain that takes our sin away has been borne by the death of Jesus. From worship, we go to confession. From confession, we go to cleansing. And then finally, we are sent out into the world with commissioning. Now that we have seen who God is, now that we have seen who we are, people who need to be cleansed, now that we have been cleansed by the atoning work of Jesus, so now Isaiah is sent out into the world. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. We prayed earlier at the prayer time before church started for God to raise up more workers for his field. We've prayed that you will this week be effective in Christian ministry. What will motivate you to do that? Guilt, well, it will do it, but I don't want that to be the case. Obligation, people-pleasing. The great motivator for Christian service is to recognise who I am in Christ before the God who is holy. He is holy. No, no, he's not just holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And I am not. But he has forgiven me. The live coal has cauterized my sins. And now that I am forgiven, now that I understand grace, 
now I am motivated to go forth and to live the life that he would call me to live. And so Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. Being sent out into a hostile world. It all starts with a vision of God. It all starts with recognising who God is. It's amazing in John chapter 12, verse 41, that we read that Isaiah saw this... So, as we come to the end of church each week, and pretty soon we're going to come to the end of church today, why did you come? Have you learnt something? Oh, that's good. We've been to a classroom. That's great. Have you been encouraged? I hope so. That's good as well. But far more importantly, have we had an encounter with the living God in heaven through his Son, the Lord Jesus, into the presence of the one who is holy, the one who has forgiven us, and the one who cleanses us. I do lots of preaching around lots of different churches, and it's great. I never, it's great, it's great to be with you this morning, it's great to be in lots of churches. There are two axes on a cross. And of course, the cross is very central to Christianity. There is a horizontal axis. And I think by and large in Sydney, we're doing pretty well at that. The horizontal axis is that we are here to encourage each other. And I don't want to diminish that at all. But there's also a vertical axis. We are here to praise God in what we sing, in how we pray, and being given access into the very throne room of God. For what is the chief end of man but to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Please pray with me.